HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Takiko Taima, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Providers in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear, uh, we hear dashi, ramen, sakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Derek Wilcox, who studied Japanese kaisek cuisine at the three Michelin star restaurant Kikunoi in Kyoto, and Edomae Sushi at the Ginza Sushi Aoki in Tokyo, also Michelin star, for 10 years in total. He's now the chef at the Shoji at 69 Leonard Street in Tribeca, New York, and earned a precious three-star rating from the New York Times last year. And many cooks aspire to study Japanese cuisine in Japan, but it is not easy because of language and culture barriers, cultural barriers, and among other things, I guess. So Derek's background is surprising and uh, super refreshing. So today we'll find out how he conquered challenges of working at the traditional Japanese restaurants in Japan and how he interprets Japanese food culture, how he expresses that idea on his menu at 69 Reynolds Street and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japan East is available on the Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. Also, uh, please write a review. We appreciate your feedback. And uh, I have a quick announcement. Uh, the 24th Sumo Stew is coming to New York tomorrow on Monday, March 19th at 8 p.m. Oh, sorry, Tuesday. Um, 
Tuesday, March 19th at 8 p.m. at Brooklyn Brewery in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and Wednesday, March 20th at 7 p.m. at Japan Society in Midtown, New York. And as you may know, Sumo Stew is a seasonal live streaming event of Sumo matches straight from Japan, and you can enjoy Japanese food from outstanding restaurants as you watch the fun matches. And tickets available at eventbrite.com and search Sumo Stew, that's S U M O S T E W, and you can find uh, both events. So, again, it's uh, uh, tomorrow on Tuesday, March 19th at Brooklyn Brewery, and Wednesday at Japan Society at 7 p.m. So,、um, also for Japanese listeners, there is a 10%, 10, 10 off discount code. That is Japanese,、uh, one word Japanese. And、uh, on a checkout, you can just、uh, enter,、uh, enter this code Japanese and you get a ten, $10 off. So I hope to see you there. Now let's start a conversation with Derek Wilcox. Hello, Derek. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So,、um, okay, so I have so many questions because you're such an amazing achieved figure. So,、uh, first of all, where are you from? And、uh, what did you eat when you grew up?、Uh, I was born upstate New York, but I mostly grew up in Virginia. And I suppose I ate mostly the same things that most other American kids at that time were eating.、Um, you know, a lot of spaghettios, a lot of macaroni and cheese,、uh, frozen vegetables, tater tots, that kind of thing.、Mm. Um, I mean, the only thing that's where a little different is my mom used to make bread. So I would have, you know, homemade bread. Oh, wow. And.、Uh, I think it was in 86, my mother went to、um, uh, Italy、uh, for about a week long trip、uh, with my uncle, who's a wine merchant. And when she came back, she started, she went to Central Italy, Tuscany, Umbria, those places. She started cooking, uh, uh, you know, pretty much authentic Italian cuisine that she learned there. Oh, wow.、Uh, which, yeah, n- none of us had had、mm. up to that point. So. Hey, so maybe that、uh, hard trip changed your life. It, I, think, <laughs> I think it might have. That's, that's when, you know. Amazing. So,、um, and you graduated from CIA,、uh, the Culinary Institute of America, which、mm-hmm. is also called the Culinary Equivalent of Harvard. So,、uh, how did you get into cooking in the first place?、Um, well, I guess when I graduated high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do.、Uh, I had a scholarship from IBM to do,、uh, well, I guess I could do whatever, but I ended up computer science、mm. in, in, a, in a small liberal arts school.、Um, and the food there was terrible. <laughs> and、uh, I ended up, you know, you had to live on campus and you had to be on the meal plan. So I, I ended up, you know, after a couple of years, just, I, I don't know, I remember quite how that you had to do some kind of special justification to get off of all that. So I ended up living in an apartment and just cooking, and then people would come over、mm. because, you know, I was cooking like Salisbury steak and, and fried rice and that kind of stuff, but it was, you know, it was. I, I think better than what the school was serving. So,、um, <laughs> so people were always coming over to have food, and, and that's the first time I was really cooking for people. And I think, you know, after I graduated, I decided maybe I'd use that degree for a little while at least, but I knew that that's probably really what I should have been doing the whole time.、Mm. So, after, yeah, after working for a little bit, I ended up, you know, going to the CIA and becoming a professional. Interesting. So, it sounds like a big part is entertaining, make people happy. That's part of cooking, yeah. It's not just, you, you know, it's not just a laboratory. It's,、mm. it's, somebody has to eat that. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> And,、uh, but you、um, eventually got interested in Japanese cuisine. Right.、Mm. So, how, what's, what happened?、Uh, that happened at the CIA. I, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind before I went, but.、Uh, 
you have to do an internship at the CIA. Mm. Uh, I mean, wh while you're there. And uh, I ended up doing it in Japan. Uh, there's a restaurant in Tokyo called Kisho. Shabu-shabu uh, and, and Japanese cuisine. Mm. Uh, so they were going to do all the paperwork that was necessary for the school, which was you know, really incredible on their part. Mm. Uh, and so I, I did an internship there. And then while I was there, uh, I had a free month that I spent in Kyoto and got into Kikinoi, their second location in downtown Kyoto, oh, wow. and did a, a what's called a stage there. You know, a free, you work for nothing, mm. and maybe they give you some food or something like that. So um, the CIA originally, I mean, it's a part of the program. They had a special relationship with the Kisho and uh, Kikinoi. They, um, I think the, is either the son or the nephew of the owner of Kisho had gone to the CIA. Oh. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people around the world will send, you know, their 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 heir or something to the CIA to get some training. It's 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 you know, in addition to training professional chefs, it also trains, you know, people like that who who won't become chefs. They'll they'll go back and go into management or something like that. Mm. So um, I think that's where that connection came from. But uh, uh, you know, I ended up also training in Kikinoi while I was there, and that was you know, Kisha was a great experience. Kikinoi was also a great experience and I kind of thought you know maybe I want to do this with my career instead of just you know dabbling in it mm, right so uh, so that's why you were able to get uh, the job eventually at the Kikinoi right that, well there's so I kind of got lucky with that where I was during my second year after I'd come back from my internship at, at the CIA I came down to the city uh, and was dining at a restaurant called Upstairs at Boulay Mm. Uh, it's it's not open anymore, but uh, the chef, well, the sous chef there went on to be the chef at Brushstroke. Uh, but uh, I was dying there that night, and Farron Adria of El Bulli was dying there that night. <laughs> and Chef Murata of Kikinoi was also dying there that night. Just completely coincidence. So I got my picture taken with Farron Adria, and I went up to Chef Murata, and I said, you know, I'm going to graduate soon. You think I can have a job? And he said, well, why don't you come back and... and train for another month and we'll see how it goes <laughs> what a night <laughs> and i said all right and so when i graduated i uh, got a plane ticket and went to kyoto and stayed there a month and trained again for a month and at the end of the month i said to him well what do you think can i have a job and he said yeah i guess sure um, wow. he said it in japanese so he goes like ma eka in, <laughs> in kansai yeah, <laughs> yeah. language dialect so um so yeah i came back to america sold pretty much everything sold my car and uh um, packed a couple suitcases and wow. went to kyoto yeah, well, the, actually, the chef uh, Yoshihiro Murata, he's really um, the figure to promote Japanese cuisine globally, mm. too. Right. And I think he just awarded the status of a person of cultural merit by the Japanese government. Right, right. So he's totally well-respected. I, I personally uh, got lucky to be able to speak to him multiple times, and uh -huh. he's just a beyond great cook. And uh, here... He said he's a third generation, mm -hmm. and his grandfather was the first, and he was more like, you know, beyond just in the kitchen. And his father was more like, you know, craftsman in, in the kitchen. Right. So it's like a generation skips, and uh. he's really um, more of a promotion that's his uh, really interest of cooking. Yeah, I think, uh, I, think, I think he saw me as being a part of that. Mm. You know, I I didn't get into that restaurant because I was amazing at Japanese food or something. I got <laughs> in the restaurant because I really wanted to, and you know, I was lucky enough that he 
wanted to have somebody in the restaurant that、mm. could then you know go and、right. and spread that technique. Kind of ambassador. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Right. So I think you became one. <laughs> and、uh, so, I mean, the Kikunoi it's a very traditional Kyoto kitchen, but you know, again,、mm-hmm. Murata San is open minded.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, how is the kitchen culture? It's really like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah.、Um, it took me several. It took me longer to adapt to the work culture than it did to learn the language.、Mm, out of、uh, seven years, basically. Yeah, I'd say it was about the. F- it was about the third or fourth year that I started to get comfortable with the language. It wasn't until the fifth or sixth year. That I was actually starting to get comfortable with、mm. being the kind of person that you're expected to be in that environment.、Wow. But, but you didn't speak Japanese before. When, when you not really.、It. Just you know, I could just say hello and goodbye and that kind、oh, of stuff. Oh wow! <laughs> wow.、Mm. So, and how do you describe the kitchen culture? So, I mean, all kitchens are hierarchical to some extent, and Japanese kitchens are, would be even more hierarchical, but. Uh, Kikunoi's kitchen. I didn't realize this when I went there. You know, I just thought that's what it was. Is particularly hierarchical、mm. uh, and particularly traditional in terms of its its work culture.、Uh, and it's it had changed when I went there.、Um, they had、uh, they did not allow corporal punishment starting a few years before I started, but they had it before then.、Mm. Uh, and then、uh, now it's actually a little bit different from when I was there too.、Uh, I went back and visited, and、uh, it's you know. It's a little sunnier now, <laughs>、um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, it's very much、um, you. You know, in in, in in an American kitchen, you have people that you have to answer to, sous chefs and chefs.、Um, and if you're a komi, you probably have to answer to a, a chef de partie or something like that also. But in Japan, in, in a traditional place like that, you answer to everybody who's senior to you. So、mm. there's 25 cooks in the kitchen. You have twenty-four bosses、uh, wow. when you're the guy on the bottom,、mm. and you have to. So that's hard enough.、Um, but then after a year, they're going to hire new cooks, and it's not. It's not automatic that you now have a new job、mm. because now there are all these new cooks. You have to get. Like, they don't. The the sous chef or the chef de cuisine is not tasking people.、Mm. Uh, they're just. Telling the line cooks what to do, and the line cooks are telling the prep cooks what to do. So,、uh, you have to get these these new kids who have just come in, who all want to be there to you know get on the line. They they're ambitious.、Mm. You have to get them to do what you're doing, which is basically cleaning all day.、Right. And you get them to do that so that you can so that、mm. you then have time to help the line cooks with what they're doing,、mm. so that then you can. Show that you have the competence to get on the line when it、wow. comes time to shift the positions around.、Mm. So,、uh, yes, you have to learn. It's, it's hierarchical in both ways. You have to learn how to deal with people above you, but you also have to learn how to deal with people below you.、Mm. Uh, And、uh, because you have, say, like twenty-four bosses, right, the first year,、right. so you kind of learn all around what you have to do in the kitchen. And then you start managing in the second year, so it's kind of、yes. like fast track.、Coach. Yes, you learn leadership in a Japanese context really quickly there, and、mm. all those all those kids they they go through the same thing, and some of them do it well, and some of them don't.、Mm. But yeah, wow, that's kind of fascinating. Oh,、mm, it's it's yeah, it's I, it's not what I expected. I I was expecting some kind of monk like you know experience. You work very long hours and you're dedicated.
uh, there's this whole social aspect、mm. that I didn't even cross my mind. Wow, I didn't know that distinctive difference between Western and mm. Japanese mm. kitchen. Um, okay, so what was the biggest challenge in that environment? Yeah, that was, that was it. it. And yeah, like I said, it wasn't just dealing with the hierarchy above you because you, know, you can kind of put up with getting yelled at.、Uh, you, know, you, you learn how to, how to deal with that,、mm. uh, even if you don't think it's fair.、Uh, and, in, and in Japan, you get yelled at, you apologize in front of the whole kitchen and bow. Yeah.、Mm. Um, It was even harder to learn how to you know, get the, the new cooks to do it. And it's something that I didn't even, I didn't even attempt the first few years.、Mm. You know, I let my people who were the same level as me manage the younger cooks. I wasn't even attempting that.、Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, people, people quit all the time because it's really strenuous.、Um, I got to the point where I had to be that person.、Right. And then.、Uh, And then,、um, I mean, it ended up working out. Like, I actually have good relationships with my, with my kohais、mm. to this day. But, wow.、Um, so, and also, you had the language barrier at that point. Yeah.、Too. Yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> so, and then at the same time, what's the most rewarding experience there?、Um, well, I guess as far as the kitchen goes, things like, you know, realizing that you can actually do it. You know, you, you, you have a day where, you know, it was a challenging day and, you know, everything actually clicked.、Mm. Uh, but I think even more rewarding for me was the kind of the extracurricular stuff.、Uh, we would do it because it's such a traditional restaurant.、Um, you know, every year in、uh, Kyoto, there's a festival on the 31st of July. And、uh, this festival is particularly important to restaurants because. There's a mountain. It's the highest mountain that surrounds、uh, Kyoto. It's called Mount Otago. There's a lot of Mount Otagos all over Japan, but, <laughs> but this is Kyoto's Mount Otago.、Right. And there's a temple to the fire god on the top of Mount Otago. And it's about a four kilometer trek up this、mm. mountain.、Uh, it takes you, if you're really fast, you can get up there in an hour, but it takes most people a couple hours to get up there.、Mm. Uh, and cooks from all over Kyoto are making this trek. After work on the 31st, so 11 o'clock at night, and going up to the fire temple so that they can get a, a prayer written on a piece of paper from the priests that protects your restaurant from fire、wow. for a year. <laughs> This is very important.、Uh, mm. almost, every, almost every restaurant in Kyoto has one of these pieces of paper stuck on, on the hood, you know, above the、mm. stove, above anything that they're using fire for.、Oh, to, wow. To protect the restaurant from,、mm. from fire. So, and you're at least at Kikinoya, you're supposed to do that three times altogether. <laughs> and by my third time, I, you know, now I'm leading these young cooks on, you know, going up and down the mountain.、Mm. And、uh, yeah, that's, that was,、uh, <laughs> that, that, that's what I look back on as, as thinking like that was, yeah, I like、mm. that. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like,、um, I don't know, it's like a martial arts holistic kind of. I, I guess. I guess,、right? yeah. It's like a focus. And also, I think because Kyoto,、uh, Kyoto structures tend to be more wooden, and actually,、oh. the risk of fire is still more right, right, right. <laughs> imminent right. than other cities. So, w- which month is 31st of which month?、Uh, July. July, okay. I have to look up. <laughs> okay. And uh, so, uh, after spending seven years in the Kikunoi,、um, 
So you moved to Tokyo. That's right. Right? In 2014. So、mm. um, why did you cook in Tokyo and why did you leave? Well, I,、uh, it had been seven years、um, at Kikinoi.、Uh, I'd kind of reached a sort of,、uh, I guess, critical mass of, of ability where I felt like. You, I mean, you could, I could have stayed there my whole life, you know. And、mm. there are people that do. The, the, when I started there, the, the executive chef had been there for 60 years. Wow. He went right out of junior high school. He started when he was 13, and he was 73. Wow.、Uh, at that time.、Mm. And he'd been there for 60 years.、Uh, he worked <laughs> for Chef Murata's father mm. before. Wow.、Um, so, you know, and there's. As far as a chef, you know, being a chef and wanting to have、uh, something to do your career, you know, there's enough to do there. I mean, there's so much to, you know, it's, it's the cuisine. There's so much depth to the cuisine.、Mm. Uh, there's so much depth to the culture,、uh, ceramics, things like that. Like, you, you could spend your whole life、mm. just exploring those depths. Well, because I, I went to see their warehouse. To store seasonal dishes. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they have to change the, all the dishes from small to yes, big. Yep. Because it's yep. seasonal. That's kind、yep. of sick. Yeah,、right? once a month, you're there till about two or three in the morning changing out all the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But,、uh, well, that's the whole tradition. And then, then you know, I think it's really that the Kaiseki cuisine is a part of culture, right? To have、mm-hmm. that. It's plugged it's, into the culture. Right. right? Right. But,、uh, but I thought that, okay, I could spend my whole life here, but I think it's time to take what I've learned. And, and then、uh, I originally was going to come straight back to the United States, but I ended up kind of looking around and, and realizing that really in the United States, sushi is 90% of Japanese food in the United States.、Mm. Uh, and you know, for me, sushi is just, you know, and, and in Japan, sushi is just, you know, It's like pizza in Italian cuisine. It s、mm. you know, might be popular and widespread, but it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's,、right. um, and sushi also, it's Edomai, means it's, it's originating in Tokyo. Edomai and, sushi did, yeah. Yeah, because、yeah. actually, Murata san one time said, you know, don't eat sushi in Kyoto. That's what you, you should eat in Tokyo. If you're going to have a meal that's sushi, yeah, you should have it in Tokyo. Or actually, recently, well, uh, uh, recently, Fukuoka is getting really、uh. good at like, pure sushi. And then.、Uh, Kanazawa has, has had great、mm. pure sushi for a long time now. Good ports.、So. Uh, right, right, right. So, yeah, Kyoto is, is. There is sushi in Kyoto, but it's part of a meal or it's like a snack for lunch, traditionally speaking.、Right. Um, as far as making sushi a whole meal, and particularly a high end meal, it's, 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 that started in Tokyo.、Mm, right. So, so, in Tokyo,、right. you went to work at、uh, Ginza Sushi. Okay. That's right. That's right. right.、Uh, before that, I did work at a Kobe beef butcher、oh. in、uh, Ikebukuro uh,、mm. uh, called uh, uh, Nikusho Moriyasu.、Wow. Uh, he, he had published a couple of volumes in Japanese on how to butcher beef.、Mm. And、uh, my wife had those books, and I read them, and I thought, okay, I, I, I want to work for this guy a little bit. <laughs> and、uh, I worked for him for a month, and at the end of the month, he said,、uh, you know, if you want to work for here for a few years, you're welcome to.、Wow. Um, but if you're not going to work here for a few years, I need to hire somebody else. So, you know, you need to decide. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and leave because、mm. I really want to do some sushi before I go back to the United States. Right. But it sounds like you did the first shabu shabu and you did kaiseki and、right. you, you learned how to deal with this wagyu. So it's kind of like already that's pretty well, good coverage. Yeah, but a shabu shabu restaurant, you're getting in like a, a block of, of、uh, 
of ribeye, uh-huh. and you're putting it on a on a uh, slicer. Right. You know, and that's a you're not learning how to actually break down mm. a, a oh. Japanese, you know, a, a kudoke wagyu. Right. So, um, you know, at, at that butcher, you know, I worked in the back, you know, peeling uh, tendons mm-hmm. from from primals, right. and then. Uh, I also got a chance to go to the central slaughterhouse. All the slaughtering oh. in, in Japan is done by the government, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's there's wholesalers who get the the, the sides wow. and then and then sell the sides to retailers and hotels and restaurants. So um, I I went to that uh, slaughterhouse and saw the auction for the. That should be uh, fun. And you know you have to wear like this special coat. They they really it's extremely clean and extremely well organized. Hmm, wagyu is really a big deal. So mm. it's like <laughs> I wouldn't say craft beer. But you know, it's like every region has yeah, different. You feed them the craft beer. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's true. That's true too. <laughs> right. So, um, but how did you get uh, the Ginza? You know, sushiaoki. That's really uh, one of the best sushi places. They yeah, say. that was not. It was not easy. Even after working at Kikunoi for seven years, you know, um, and yeah, it was Michelin three star, but nobody really cares about that mm. in Japan. But it was. It was a famous restaurant in Japan. You know, regardless of Michelin. Right. Uh, and. Uh, but even then, no, you know, I got, I got kind of the, you know, I, I knew, I knew a sushi chef uh, who had good connections. He had done a book called Edomai Sushi in English, mm. uh, and uh, my wife and I had helped him write that book. And uh, uh, his name is uh, Kikuo Shimizu-san, and um, he was kind of semi. He was retired at that point, but he said, you know, I'll ask around and try to get you into some place. And then he came back to me and he said, you know. They said if you want to work like ten or twenty years, sure. But if you just want to work for a few years, they don't think there's any reason, there's any point. And um, then uh, the uh, editor of uh, Fujingaho magazine uh, in Japan—that's a very uh, high-end, heavy, glossy magazine, right? Very right. traditional, right? Um, uh, you know, heard about that that I was, you know. That I was trying to find a sushi mm. restaurant and, and and started to help ask around, and uh, Chef Aoki is kind of like Chef Murata in that he's sort of he he has a traditional restaurant, he does his thing, he does it at a high level, but he also has a vision, like he he he's always looking past, you know mm. what what's right in front of him, and uh, somehow he you know I got an introduction to him from this editor uh, at, at Fujingaho and. Uh, um he uh he said sure you can stay here two to three years i'll teach you mm. uh as much as i can in that time right so and that's the toshikatsu aoki that's right right and i heard he uh he came to the states and it's like spent a year or something he's been so he's a he's a uh marathon runner mm-hmm. and he's been to new york city to do the new york city marathon on a couple occasions wow. uh and so he and he also did something in LA where he did like a little competition with a with an American sushi chef in LA uh, that they televised or something like that. I don't know all the details, but uh, uh, and and he he likes to travel. He'll go to Hong Kong and mm. uh, so he, you know, he has his thing. He's doing his his traditional little my sushi, uh, but he also, mm. you know, likes at least think about other things. Right. So kind of uh, preserve the tradition, but progress. That's right. That's <laughs> a good well. way to put it. Yeah. Right. 
Okay, so um, so what did you learn at uh, Sushioki and uh, Shifaoki? So people, I think most people when they when they go to a sushi restaurant, they you know they see the the chef at the counter making the nigiri or the makimono or whatever, and they think that's the skill of sushi is you know you grab the fish in one hand, you grab the rice in the other hand, you maybe put some wasabi or some other fragrance or something in there. Uh, you form a piece of sushi and you、mm-hmm. serve it, and they think that's the skill of, of sushi making. That's like the last two percent of sushi making. <laughs> the first ninety-eight percent is getting in the fish,、uh, cleaning the fish,、uh, reading the quality of the fish. You know, n- not just how good it is, but how much fat is there. You know,、mm-hmm. was there a rainstorm that changed the salinity of the water and that changed the condition of the fish?、Um, wow! And then, so based on that. You adjust how you salt and/or vinegar and/or age that fish.、Uh, then you have all the shellfish、uh, that all has its own skill.、Um, no fish you fillet quite the same way twice. So in Kaiseki, you know Kyoto is far from the sea、mm-hmm. by Japanese standards.、Uh, so you're dealing with a rather small range of fish in Kyoto in general, traditionally speaking.、Uh, mm. You know you have tai, you have hamo,、uh, amadai, you know guji.、Uh, You know, maybe five or ten fish that you're going to see all the time. Ayu that you're going to see all the time in Kyoto. In an Edomai sushi restaurant, throughout the year, there's going to be I don't know forty or fifty different kinds of seafood that you're going to deal with,、mm. and、uh, all seasonal too. All so. seasonal. So <laughs> you know, twenty, thirty kinds of fish, twenty, thirty kinds of shellfish.、Uh, they all have their own little quirks,、um, <laughs> and so you have to learn. And you have to do it with skill. You know, when when the chef is at the counter and he picks up that piece of fish, everybody can see that piece of fish.、Mm. If that, if the way the fish was prepared is not perfectly clean,、mm. it's embarrassing for the chef. You know, and and there are, some guests won't notice, but a lot of guests will,、mm. and they'll see the condition. They'll say, "Oh, okay, there's something wrong with what's going on in the back there." So, yeah, the first ninety-eight percent of sushi is、mm. all of that, and also the rice, of course. You know.、Right. Cleaning the rice, cooking it,、mm. you know, mixing it. So, right, it's like a cake decorated at the the the, the end. Exactly, the, the cream exactly, topping, that kind of exactly.、Thing. Right. But I think even more because cakes. I, I mean, I don't know. People tend to not care how cake tastes. That's like, true. You go to a wedding, and it, I don't know if it's ever any good. Right. But sushi, and it has to look good, but also has to taste good.、Mm. And、uh, you know, there are. There are so many little steps. There are so many little things you have to learn、mm. uh, to get every one of those elements right. Right. Isn't it exciting though for a chef? Because it's、uh, new ingredients, and you have to have, you have to really manage and master this thing. And once you do it, like wow, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, I don't know. You never. Every once in a while, you have a good day where you're like, well, that that actually that worked out really well.、Mm. But for the most part. There's always, there's always the next thing you have to,、mm. you know, tackle.、Um, so,、uh, you know, and the whole time I was in Japan, I'm thinking, you know, I'm learning all this stuff. I am going back to America. I have to think like how how what's applicable. You know?、mm. So it's sort of it's it's like learning a body of technique, and then, you know, I, I always had that in the back of my mind.、Mm. So. Yeah, even even yeah, when I left Sushiaoki, it's okay. Now's the time to actually apply this stuff.、Mm, wow, sounds like really precious 
uncomparable experience. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. It was a series of of, of events, I guess. That, that, yeah, because I, I don't everything. I don't know any other non-Japanese chefs like spending. Well, after Kikunoi, of course, you totally kind of you know qualified for the opportunity, but I don't think it's uh, easy to be in the position and actually maintain the job. So, uh. Uh, yeah, there, well, there there aren't even any Japanese chefs who do that. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, usually you train in kaiseki, yeah, that's your career. You, mm-hmm. you know, now you're gonna go open like a couple, maybe open izakaya, mm-hmm. you know, maybe open a kaiseki restaurant, maybe you'll go be the executive chef at a hotel that has a kaiseki restaurant inside, something like that. Mm-hmm. But you're not gonna go train in a sushi restaurant, start all over again, right. and then try to make like nobody, nobody does that. Mm, maybe it's not the mindset either. Right. Right. So, I think uh, in a good way that you are. You know, not in the framework of Japanese cuisine, but uh, so the chef Aoki is known for being open-minded. So, mm, mm. so that's why I think uh, he did. Um, he started a program called uh, Project Blue Tree. That's right. In yeah. 2016, that's what right. is it? That's uh, so. That was that was a coming from his desire to sort of see what else you could do with sushi as not just on its own but as as part of a meal and so before i he knew i was going to leave and come back to america and but before i did he wanted to um he wanted to ask me to collaborate on this thing where i would do the kaiseki portion he would do the sushi portion and uh uh you know we would run it for a few months and uh just you know as as a as a kind of as a pop-up like a like, mm. a, like a sort of extended pop-up i suppose right. and of course uh, the collaboration between two chefs right right uh, showcasing. i mean in this case it was very unequal <laughs> 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 but uh and then and then after i after we finished that uh with my portion uh he went on and did another collaboration under under project blue tree with uh with a korean chef mm. and then also i think a uh fugu Specialist. Oh wow, the blowfish. Uh, yes, poisonous blowfish specialist. So, wow. um, and then you know, having that as part of a sushi course, like a fixed a fixed menu that was mm. included both sushi and that other element. Interesting. And, and what you can learn from putting those together. Wow, I wish I could be at the dinner. <laughs> Sounds really interesting. Um, so, what do you think about the future of Japanese cuisine based on your experience of being a part of? that conservative community of sushi chefs or the kaiseki chefs as well as working with more progressive chefs like you know the aoki-san ah that's an interesting question uh if you mean the future japanese cuisine in japan i yeah. think uh there's a lot more um there's more i, I think right now a lot of the high end is being driven by people coming from overseas Mm-hmm. Uh, which is good because it, you know, spreads authentic Japanese cuisine around. You know, they'll take it back and then they'll have new expectations where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean that you know, in the past, the hi- the highest end restaurants were the ones that had, you know, particularly with kaiseki, that were most steeped in technique and mm-hmm. tradition. And you had to show you can source the best ingredients. You have to show you know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to show you understand this 
you know, this one obscure technique from 300 years ago, you know, you got to get that on the menu somewhere to kind of show that, you know, you know, it, you're, it's like you're, you're showing that you, you have those chops. Mm. Uh, and the more you have guests coming from overseas and the more it's kind of Instagram driven, uh, the more it becomes, you know, can we put caviar and truffles on things? Mm. You know, can we or gold leaf or, you know, this kind of thing. That element has always been there in both kaiseki and sushi. You know, it's always been, it's always been luxurious, mm. at least high-end sushi and kaiseki has always been luxurious. Um, but there's always been kind of a, you know, the way you judge a kaiseki chef is how well can you cook a turnip? Mm. You know, <laughs> how well can you make a white miso soup? Um, it's not how well can you, you know, put uni and mm. truffles on wagyu you know that, that was never part of kaiseki before right. and it has become that around the world and it's it's affecting mm. things in japan as well because you have you have now you have people who come from overseas are spending more right. than the japanese are mm. on 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 the food so that's driving the high-end market in japan right so um considering that kind of um you know foreign influence or demand mm. kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. that could um, change the market. Mm. What, what is, do you think is the essence of Japanese cuisine that would stay regardless? Well, I think it's sort of, I think you're going to have to, you know, you, you could argue like with French cuisine that you have to go to say Lyon to get real French cuisine. You're not going to get it in, in Paris. Mm. Um, I think that will happen with Japanese cuisine. Uh, I think, I think already you're not. I mean, with the exception of sushi, and I think even sushi is going to change. You're not going to get authentic Japanese cuisine in Tokyo mm. over the next couple of decades. I think, and and it would have been Kyoto, but I think Kyoto is going to go in that direction too. Mm. You have to find it somewhere else. Uh, you know, some somewhere more obscure, somewhere that the that people aren't going to, mm. where you can find somebody who actually, you know, is connected with their. Because all cuisine and Japanese cuisine is the same way. It's connected with where you are. Mm. And, uh, you know, you're, I think you're going to have to look harder in right. the future to find that. Interesting. I'm, I'm kind of lucky that I went at a time when, you know, you know, even though, I mean, there was no Michelin guide for Kyoto when I went to Japan. Mm. Uh, right. It was in my third year, I think, that the first Michelin guide came out. Okay. So, you know... There, there were some people, you know, it was on some people's radar and people would travel there, but it wasn't like it is now. Mm. Uh, right. Well, that's interesting, right? That makes me think, like, you know, if you go back at the Edo period, um, mm. the Portuguese influence mm, spread mm, mm, mm. and the cuisine changed. We right. have now tempura, right. thanks to right. them. Right. And that kind of thing, like, in the big picture, all those things happening is part of a flow uh, uh, uh. and uh, tradition. It's it's good. It could be a part of tradition. That's like you know, big right, movement. Right, right. So yeah, that's interesting. That yeah, something like yeah, something like tempura was something where they they let the influence in for a moment, and then it became part of the culture. Right. And that's happened a lot in Japanese cuisine. Mm. So I guess we'll we'll have to see how this is going forward. Is this is this you know influences that will be that will come in for a period, and then will be internalized and processed and made more, you know, go through that, you know the. I think maybe that's the essence of Japanese cuisine is that, you know, influences come in, but then they get morphed into this native aesthetic 
Mm. Uh, you know, tempura doesn't resemble deep fried food anywhere else in the world. Right. Uh, and certainly not Portuguese. Mm. Um, so, you know, there is something that happens to,、mm. to influences that come into Japan. Right. So, adaptation and、uh, obsession, like these、right. are the words always associated、right. with anything else, I、right. think. And specialization and a respect for craftsmanship. Yeah,、mm. very right. I don't think that cha- that's going to change. I don't think so either. I hope、right. not. God, I hope not.、Yeah. But I, I can't imagine. Right. I think all this,、uh, I don't know, like Shintoism, respect, you know, like a million gods in you、right. know, life、right. or the school education. As far as they remain the same, I think it's going to be there. <laughs> I hope. I think, yeah, I think you're right. right. All right, so we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll take,、uh, talk about Derek's sushi kaiseki menu at Shoji at 69 Leonard Street in New York. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions. But they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Coin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcast Live from a Studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Derek Wilcox, who studied Japanese kaiseki cuisine at the three Michelin star Kikunoi in Kyoto, and、uh, Edomae Sushi at the Ginza Sushi Aoki in Tokyo, also Michelin star for 10 years in total. And now、uh, he's a chef at Shoji at 69 Leonard Street. So,、um, so again, you are now the chef. At the Shoji, at the 16th Leonard Street, New York, which earned 3D star New York Times rating. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So,、um, so how, what's the path to become the chef there? So, the owner of the space came to Tokyo to recruit a chef to come back and run it.、Mm-hmm. And he got an introduction to Chef Aoki through Chef Shimizu,、uh, who had previously been a chef at 15 East、mm. here in the city. Right. And he's now in Bangkok. Right. And、um, so he was friends with Chef Aoki. And so、uh, I think Chef Shimizu had suggested to the owner, you know,、mm. why don't you go talk to Chef Aoki?、Uh, he might be willing to do some collaboration, you know, we'll see. And then、uh, I was translating, you know, for that. Right. For that talk. Right. You know, because I always had to do that kind of stuff there.、Mm. Um, and.、Uh, Uh, the owner was. I don't think he thought that, you know, that I would be, you know, and then he kind of asked about me and, and then he found out, you know, things that I'd done.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, then he realized all the. F- he came and ate at, at Sushi Aoki as well.、Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know all, the nigiri, of course, was done by Chef Aoki, but all the, 
you know, I cooked the rice, you know, there was a soup at the end, I cooked the soup at the end, you know, mm. I, you know all the preparation was done by me. Um, and uh, I had done some nigiri at the, you know, at the Project Blue Tree as well. Mm. But, you know, when he tasted that, he's like, you know, why, why don't I ask this guy to come back? And, <laughs> you know, why don't, why, don't, why don't we do that? And, uh, and Chef Alki said, you know, I think you should do it. I think you should go. Mm. Um, I think it'd be a good experience. You know, be careful, but uh, I think you should go. And uh, I like the be careful. <laughs> yeah, no, he's 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 a he's he he's not your typical mm. image. I think most sushi chefs really aren't, but there's this image that sushi chefs are these grumpy old men mm. um, and abusive and whatever. And uh, he's he's not like that. Mm. But uh, so uh, I agreed and uh, came back in uh, August of 2017. And we didn't have a lot of time. We opened in uh, September mm. after about a month. Got some staff. We got really great supply from, uh, from uh, at that time, the uh, Tsukiji Fish Market. It's, right. it's moved, but, uh, mm. uh, and, you know, opened. And the concept was to serve uh, uh, sushi and kind of a kind of kaiseki, sort of like a combination of tea kaiseki. Which is an earlier, somewhat simpler version of kaiseki, mm. um, and and kapo, where where it's it's you know traditional Japanese cooking, but done in front of in front of guests, mm. you know, at a counter. Um, so, you know, going with that concept. Mm. Kapo is really popular in Japan. We don't hear the word kapo very often, right, but right. that's very important. It is, yeah. Right. yeah. It's almost like more. Um, involving communication with the chef and you you're part of uh, uh. cooking and dining right right so oh, that's exciting and you have only 12 seats uh, at most yes okay <laughs> uh, we 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 flex a little bit based on you know if somebody does a buyout we can do up to 13 but uh, um, we will generally have somewhere between 8 and 10 mm. seats per, per seating right uh, comfortable seating <laughs> right, right right and what does shoji mean so shoji started out as, uh, uh, so the, the, the restaurant had, was there, but it didn't have a chef. And so, uh, and it, and we started as a pop-up. I didn't, I, you know, I was thinking maybe three months, we do something for three months. Um, the owners kind of convinced me to, to stay at least six months. Mm. So I thought, okay, we'll do, we'll do six months. But then I thought he would hire you know, uh, another chef or something, and I would help transition, and then, you know, I'd, I'd go do something else. Um, and we got such a response that, you know, it ended up continuing. And then, mm. uh, but uh, yeah, as far as the name, uh, we, you know, we were trying to come up with a name that meant, in, in this case, Shoji originally was uh, Skunai Toki. Mm. So, you know, a moment. Right, like know, limited time. A fleeting just, time, right. right. Yeah, just just a moment. Or it can also mean youth. Uh, the same characters in both Chinese and Korean tend to mean uh, youth mm. uh, rather than rather than right. a brief time. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not a common, it's not a common thing in Japan. It's, it's something you'll find in a dictionary, right. but it's not like a common, you know, if you ask a Japanese person what does shoji mean, they'll say, oh, that's the sliding screen door that you know <laughs> that's what i thought there, there's a there's actually there's actually there's another kind of dictionary meaning for shoji which is uh uh show as an alternative reading for say meaning life mm -hmm. and g meaning she that's 
you know, been altered to G because it comes after another mm. another word meaning death. Right. And it's it's the in Buddhism it's the native Japanese word mm. for samsara, which is the cycle of life and death. Right. So that also seemed to be appropriate because it was kind of a mm. uh, you know, a rebirth. Right. Uh, so so the owner really liked that. Mm, <laughs> so, me too. So uh, <laughs> we ended up going to the name Shoji. And then um, after we decided to actually make the restaurant permanent, um, this was before we got the New York Times review, but we, we were getting such good response from some very sophisticated diners in New York. And, you know, there's something I didn't expect is how, mm. you know, just how sophisticated New Yorkers are when it comes to Japanese cuisine. Right. I don't think there's another city in the world, even in Hong Kong, I don't think... Wow. Uh, is is as up on Japanese cuisine as, really? as New York. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Um, uh, and just having this great response, we decided, well, why don't we maybe continue the restaurant, like make it make it a proper restaurant? Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to Japan, went to Kyoto, met with Chef Murata, and I was there with my wife, and my wife asked him to do the calligraphy for a shoji because uh-huh. we wanted to have, you know, you know uh, a calligraphy we could put on the door, um, and maybe hang in the restaurant. And uh, he said, he agreed to do it. Um, but he said, you can't have this skunai toki. You can't have your, your restaurant be named a little bit of time because it's mm. extremely bad luck. Mm. Uh, so, you, you know, you can keep the name Shoji. We have to find other characters to represent that. Huh. So what he came up with is show, uh, hisho, no show, mm. which means like sore. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, like a dragon soaring, right. that kind of thing, right. or a bird soaring, mm-hmm. uh, and leaving G is toki, meaning time. So mm. uh, you could say it now means something like time to soar. Right. So <laughs> a lot of good. I think it really contains uh, the essence of Japanese culture and mindset. So it's kind of like ichigo ichi, you know. Uh, 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 it's uh. kind of like really positive thing. So, um, but you know, being. Um, you know, you're an American chef, devoted your life to expressing most traditional form Japanese cuisine, right? So, wh- how do you call your cooking right now? Oh, it's it's Japanese. I mean, it's it's you know a lot of Japanese chefs do this. They will travel to France. They will travel to Italy. Mm. Uh, more recently, they'll travel to Spain, and then you know they'll spend five years, ten years there. Then they'll come back and open up a restaurant mm. and. It's not exactly the same as French food that you'd get in France. In many ways, it's better, honestly. Um, uh, same with the Italian food. Unreal Italian food in Japan. Mm. Just incredible. <laughs> um, some of the best dishes I've ever had have been at Italian restaurants in Japan. Mm. Um, so I that that was my inspiration. You know, uh, I'm an American going mm. to Japan. You know, working there for ten years, training, learning as much as I can, then come back and do something here right. and that serves two per- like first of all it's 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 showing just how much you can do with japanese technique you don't need you can do fusion if you like i don't think there's anything wrong with fusion mm. but you don't need it right. you know if if somebody gives you this ingredient and it, you know and says here you need to make a dish from that mm. you you know you have the technique to do something with that right. um Mm. And and I just yeah you know, just wanting to so it is Japanese cuisine right well that's interesting I really never thought that way because people see Japanese cuisine as untouchable like you know if you're not Japanese you can't and then for 
Italian cuisine, for instance, the Italian immigrants that's, that's, came to the States. That's, and yeah, that's ridiculous. Right. And I, it totally makes sense because I think you have an advantage too because you see Japanese cuisine more objectively and maybe more analytically. So I think that's a big contribution that you're making. To well, yeah, I mean, maybe. There's, there's really, there's no, there's nothing, you don't have to be Japanese to do Japanese food. Not at all. Uh, and, you know, when I trained at Kikanoi, those kids coming from all over the country, it was as new to them as it was to me. You know, that's not, that's not what you eat every day. Right. Um, <laughs> and it was as hard for them as it was for me. You know, mm. people think like, oh, this American went to Japan, trained in a traditional kitchen. It must have been really hard. Right. Yes, it was. But it really wasn't any harder, you know, for me than it was for them. It's mm. really, really hard right. on all of them. Mm. And also, you know, you have a bigger reference point knowing other cuisine outside japan so mm. but the, you know the japanese they 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 know other cuisines too, right so. but you know you get good stuck in the kaiseki you know narrow uh, window then it's kind of like uh, it's, you, 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 you are not allowed to go beyond that uh, <laughs> but you naturally have it so yeah there is a freedom here uh so then the question is what you do with that freedom like then then you're setting your boundaries yourself right and and where you set those boundaries is really important for your, your creativity. Mm. Uh, right. So what's your plan? <laughs> so um, I'm, I would like to, with the rest of my career, accomplish uh, a few things. I'd like to raise the bar for Japanese cuisine mm. in the United States. Um, I would like to provide opportunities for young American cooks who either want to make Japanese cuisine their career or just maybe learn it for a few years and then, you know, do something else. I'd like to provide them opportunities in the United States to do that, mm. uh, uh, which I didn't have when I... Right. When you I, mean staging? Staging, place? working. I mean, you, you can't... Mm. Staging is not... You're not going to go stage someplace for a month. You're going to see how some things are done. You're not going to learn how to do it yourself. Right. You're not going to learn the mechanics. You have to kind of cut through... There's a lot of marketing in Japanese cuisine. There's a lot of show. Mm. If you want to be a professional chef, you have to cut through the show and learn the mechanics. Right. And um, there was no opportunity to do that when I when I left cooking school. I, you could go to like a place like Nobu and Morimoto, uh, which are great restaurants, mm. but you know, it's not, and 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 it's not really authentic Japanese cooking. Mm. For, you know, as as it's practiced in Japan, so there really wasn't any opportunity for me. I had to go. I had to go through everything. I had to go through. I had to go to Kyoto and do that. Right. Uh, so that's the second thing I want to provide opportunities for that mm. uh, in the United States and then also do what I can to help people get connected in Japan so I can go to Japan for a month or two which I think is very important mm. uh, and then the third thing is uh, uh, ingredients in America um, you know if you want to open a French restaurant you don't have to get everything from France if you want to mm. open an Italian restaurant you don't have to get everything from Italy it's, it's ridiculous nobody nobody would even think of that um, but you want to open a Japanese cuisine restaurant uh it, you know, at the very least, you're going to need to get things like soy sauce, uh, sake, uh, you know, from from Japan, mm. you know, uh, seasonings. Um, as far as raw ingredients, um, there's a lot of great fish in the sea here, but getting them out of the ocean and to the door of the restaurant is nowhere near as smooth and, and predictable mm. and reliable as it is in Japan. So I'd, I'd like to, I mean, that's a little bit more down the line, but, I, you know... I don't know what I can do as a chef to help bring that about, but that's that's what mm. I'd like to do. That sounds great. 
that's of these things that everybody wanted to happen. So mm. I know a few people, like, you know, I mean, like Yuji Haraguchi, who's uh, also the one of Okonomi, Osakana, Yuji o m e n e He does kind of like more foundational. Right, right, right. right. Like, I, I love Okonomi. That's, right. that's solid cooking mm. going on there. So, I hope that the kind of、uh, movement is going to be more mainstream. Yeah. 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 So, where can we find your updates?、Um, well, for now,、uh, I guess Instagram.、Um, I'm、uh, 88 Tamashi, T A M A S H I I.、Uh, the number 88 and then T A M A S H I I, the two、okay. I's at the end,、uh, on Instagram.、Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get better about posting there.、Okay. A lot of people <laughs> complain to me I don't post enough. Right.、Uh, Uh, and then, of course,、uh, you know, I'm at Shoji.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so so know, that's、uh, 69 Leonard Street. In Tribeca, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the website is 69LeonardStreet.com. That's right. right. Although it's a very spare website. Right. Know, just <laughs> <laughs> it was very、uh, minimalist. <laughs> right. Minimalist. <laughs> right. Okay. But、uh, please keep me posted. And if you do something, you know, just doing the three plans you have, then we can come back and talk about them too. All right. All right, I'd love to. Yeah, so thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Derek. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneats.heritageradionetwork.org or kikokadema.com. And Japaneats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And our engineer is Matt Patterson. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.